It was an uncomfortably hot and dry day in February of 2016 when two backpackers, one from Germany and one from Brazil, struck up a friendship and decided to head to Melbourne, Australia, from Adelaide. They asked to ride share with 59-year-old Roman Hines. Little did they know they had accepted a lift from a man who was planning a vile and terrifying attack. You're listening to Twisted Travel and True Crime, and I'm your host, Sandy. Let's hit the road. Australia has been a country that people aspire to travel to. The appeal of the golden beaches, the surf culture, and the never-ending sunshine make it attractive to young backpackers in particular. As one of the most diverse countries in the world, with over 10,000 gorgeous beaches, the incredible beauty of the outback, hundreds of tropical islands, vibrant cities, friendly people, and of course we can't forget the strange and wonderful creatures that can't be found anywhere else in the world, Australia is at the top of many travelers' bucket lists, including mine. Lena Rebente, a pretty petite blonde from Germany, was 23 years old when she decided she would visit the country. She was in her gap year. Gap years can look different for everyone, but for those of us who didn't have one or don't know what they are, it's essentially a full year or even a semester of learning experiences. Usually it's taken after high school and before taking a job or post-secondary education. Many people consider it to be an opportunity to immerse themselves in another culture or to challenge their comfort zones. It also gives them time to consider what they really want to do with their lives. Lena decided backpacking to Australia was what she wanted to do. As part of her preparation, she and her friends watched a backpacker horror film called Wolf Creek. If you haven't seen it, it's about three backpackers who find themselves taken captive and then hunted by a psychopath who chases them through several mining sites south of Wolf Creek in Australia. Lena laughed the movie off, thinking it was a work of pure fiction, although it was loosely based on true crime, including the murders of backpackers by serial killer Ivan Milat in the 1990s and Bradley Murdoch in 2001. Little did she know how close her real-life story would come to the plot of the movie. Lena's backpacking plans brought her to Adelaide. It was in this coastal city that she would meet a fellow backpacker named Beatrice. Beatrice, a Brazilian beauty with long dark hair and eyes, contrasted beautifully with Lena's fair skin and blonde hair. Beatrice was in Australia because she had met a young man online. She'd spent a week with him before deciding to take some short trips to see the sights. The girls were both young and adventurous, but it was also their first time traveling alone, and because they were new to Australia, they decided to pair up. They had the same destination in mind, the Great Ocean Road. This stretch of road is 150 miles long. It's one of the most beautiful scenic roads in the world. The girls would get to see rugged cliffs, beautiful rock formations, and stunning beaches along the way. The first part of their trip would take them to Melbourne. It was an eight-hour ride from Adelaide. Neither of the girls had much money, so they thought the best thing they could do was try to find a ride with someone else. They used an app called Gumtree. I believe it's a lot like Craigslist in the States. You can buy and sell things, look for jobs, and in Lena and Beatrice's case, rideshare or carpool. Beatrice posted an ad reading, Hey, I'm a 23-year-old Brazilian looking for someone to travel from Adelaide to Melbourne from the 9th to the 11th. I'm flexible. I can change my plans a bit. Just let me know if you're interested. Cheers. 
She had only two responses to her ad. One she felt very comfortable with, but unfortunately those plans fell through because the gentleman's car broke down the night before they were planning to leave. The second response she received was from a man named Roman. She decided to call him, even though she felt like he was impatient. When she wouldn't respond to him quickly, he would send her messages like, Just reply. Tell me if you want to go or not. And words along the lines of, Don't be rude. Her options had been limited, and because she was traveling with Lena, she decided to call Roman and catch that ride after all. The following Tuesday, the three of them would meet to begin the road trip. When the girls first laid eyes on Roman Hines, they were surprised because he was older than they expected. He was 59 and sported a handlebar mustache. The girls both had passing thoughts that, if they had been alone, they probably wouldn't have taken a ride with the tall, older man. What the girls didn't know was that they were now inside the car of a man who had no good intentions when it came to the girls. Blissfully unaware of what was going on inside Roman's head, the girls rode along happily. Beatrice took a short video of the three of them driving together. She has a huge smile on her face, the windows are open, and the fresh sea breeze is blowing in their faces. She's in the passenger seat next to Roman, and Lena is sitting in the back seat with their bags. Roman told the girls a little bit about the history of Australia, the landscapes that they passed, but mostly he was quiet. He'd stop occasionally for the girls to get out and take pictures. In one video, Beatrice is taking a selfie, turning herself in a circle so her audience can see the beauty surrounding her. In the background, Roman's truck comes into view and then just as quickly moves off the screen. He worked to make them feel comfortable with him, and in all honesty, they were. That is until two hours into the trip, when he unexpectedly drove off the main road into an area called Salt Creek. Salt Creek is a remote fishing destination that is part of the Kurong National Park. He tells the girls that most of the year, that part of the beach they are driving on was underwater, and they were lucky to be able to see it. He reassured them by saying it was a beautiful area, and suggested they should camp there for the night. Once again, the girls are feeling a bit strange about the circumstances they are in, but they also want to enjoy the sights. Taking the advice of a local seemed like an opportunity they shouldn't miss, they rationalized. Roman got out of the truck and began pulling out camping equipment. The girls had a brief discussion about whether Roman was an okay guy. Beatrice reassured Lena, saying that she thought he was weird, but that everything was okay. Roman set up a tent for himself and one for the girls. The campsite was in a bit of a depression where the beach ends and the sand dunes began. The dunes were fairly small near the beach, but tall enough that if you walked behind one, someone wouldn't see you from the other side. They raised and lowered across the landscape like waves. There were bushes and scrub plants growing on the dunes varying in height from a foot to large enough to hide a car, but they were sporadic. The isolated campsite was sandwiched between sand dunes and brush on one side and a large extended beach leading to the water on the other. Once the tents and pop-up table were set up, Roman takes out a bit of a meal and some wine. Beatrice begins cooking some pasta. Lena is tired, so she decides to take a nap in the back of Roman's truck, while Beatrice decides to catch some sun. She puts on her bathing suit and begins to relax. After a while, Roman tells her that he has seen some kangaroo prints, and there must be some nearby. 
he asks Beatrice if she wants to come with him to look for them. Beatrice, not wanting to miss an opportunity, trustingly agrees, and they begin to walk further back from the beach into the undulating dunes. They searched, but they didn't see any kangaroos. Beatrice was becoming bored, so she told Roman she wanted to head back to camp. She turned to leave when he grabbed her and pushed her to the ground. She was so surprised by that attack that at first she thought he was joking. She turned towards him and said, Don't do that. That's not funny. But that's when she realized he was going to hurt her. He climbed on her back and put his arm around her neck. Then he pulled out a knife, stabbing it into the sand near her head. Out came some ropes he had concealed from her, and he began making movements toward tying her up. In an act of defiance, she grabbed the ropes and threw them away from her. He punched her in the face and told her that if she made it hard for him, he'd break her arm. He then grabbed her, pushing her face into the ground and placing himself over her, preventing her from getting up. He tied her hands together behind her back, and once he had total dominance over her, he cut her bathing suit off. He punched her and spit in her face, then began kissing and licking her face and her body. Beatrice was terrified and began thinking she might be murdered. She asked Roman if he was going to kill her, but he didn't answer. At that point, he shoved her bikini bottoms into her mouth in an attempt to keep her quiet. She spit them out and tried to reason with him, but that made him even more angry. He punched her over and over. Beatrice was forced to imagine what it would be like to die there. She pictured her mother having to see her dead body. She realized it was unlikely she'd survive or even be found. She pushed these negative thoughts aside and chose to think about what she had to do to get out of the situation. She thought she'd try to manipulate him by getting him closer to camp and closer to Lena. She asked him why it had to be this way, telling him that if he wanted to do something with her, all he had to do was ask. Things would be nicer if they could just go to one of the tents. They could relax together. It didn't have to be so rough. At this point, Roman turned her face down in the dirt and tied her ankles. He lifted her up so she could walk with small steps, but she couldn't run. He began walking her slowly back towards their campsite through the dunes. When the tents came into sight, Roman began having second thoughts, and he started to turn Beatrice away from the tents. She knew she only had one chance, so she screamed at the top of her lungs for Lena, hoping her screams would wake the sleeping girl up. In response to the screams, Roman punched Beatrice again and climbed on top of her. Luckily, Lena did hear the scream. She heard the terror in Beatrice's voice and jumped out of the car. She walked around the front of the vehicle listening for a second scream, but heard nothing. It had been a miracle that she heard the sound of Beatrice's scream over the sound of the wind and waves in the first place, but now she had to figure out where Beatrice was. As she wandered in the direction she thought the sound had come from, she saw Roman leaning over Beatrice's naked body. She was shocked by what she saw, and her first emotion was anger. She yelled at him, shouting, Let her go! Let her go! She couldn't believe what her eyes were telling her. Lena grew more angry and wondered how the hell Roman could do this to Beatrice. Lena kept yelling at Roman, telling him to get off of Beatrice. He turned to face Lena. He tried to explain himself and said disgustingly, I just wanted to try her. Then he began to chase Lena. Lena ran as quickly as she could back towards the truck, 
Beatrice was screaming after her, telling her to run and be careful because she thought Roman had an axe. He was holding something with a handle as he chased Lena. Lena ran for her phone in the truck. She wanted to call the police. As she opened the door, Roman caught up to her. She told him all she wanted was her bag. He yelled back at her, Yeah, get your fucking bag. As she turned away from him to reach inside, he hit her on the top of the head with a hammer as hard as he could. Lena thought she was going to die. It hurt so badly. She wasn't sure what she'd been hit with because she couldn't see for a few seconds after that first blow. She felt wobbly on her feet, but she knew she had to run. Roman chased her, hitting her again and again and again. She ran as fast as she could, feeling dazed and dizzy, stumbling. He would hit her four more times in the head, but she never gave up. She kept running. She was small, but fast. At six foot six inches and 61 years old, Roman was having a hard time catching her on his feet, so he retreated to his vehicle with the intention of driving her down. Lena was feeling disoriented, but she felt that she had to help Beatrice. She took a second to think and realized that Beatrice was close by. Lena yelled and then ran to Beatrice, untying her hands and beginning to untie her feet. They looked up and saw Roman's truck bearing down on them. They had to split up. Lena ran down the beach toward where she thought the entrance to the park was. She was in plain sight of Roman, who was driving straight towards her. Beatrice ran back to the dunes. She hid under some dense brush and stayed silent. Roman chased Lena down the beach with his 4 by 4 On the front of the truck he had bull bars, known in Australia as a rhubar. It's designed to protect the vehicle from collisions, especially with kangaroos, hence the name rhubar. On the top of the truck was a sturdy roof rack. Roman was quickly gaining on Lena. She knew her only choice was to head up into the dunes. She zigzagged through the dunes and brush while he chased her in his car. She would run nearly a kilometer or half a mile with Roman on her tail. Literally, if she had a tail, he would have been on top of it because he hit her in the back of her legs with his rhubarb, knocking her to the ground. She popped up, suddenly changing direction and kept running. She'd run for sandy spots, hoping the vehicle would get stuck. Roman would catch her. He bumped her again and she fell again, but was able to right herself. He momentarily got stuck in some sand, but it wasn't long before he was breathing down her neck once more. He hit her with the truck, knocking her to the ground, and then drove over her body. She lay flat, pressing herself into the ground. Miraculously, the wheels missed her, and the car sat high enough off the ground she wasn't killed. All this time, blood is pouring down her face and neck from her head wounds. She was having trouble seeing. She gingerly stood up. When Roman looked back and realized she was still alive, he spun the car around, preparing to hit her again. She ran, but she was tiring. He'd catch up and he'd hit her once more. Her adrenaline was pumping. She righted herself and felt no pain, but she realized she wasn't winning this battle. She couldn't run anymore. She had to fight. She turned and faced the truck as Roman drove into her. She jumped on the hood and then climbed to the roof. Roman stopped the car, 
jumped out and swung the hammer at her over and over, all the while shouting at her with a wild fury. He screamed to her to get off the roof. Lena held on to the roof rack and kicked at him with her feet to protect herself from the hammer blows. She was struggling to see because blood was raining down from her head wounds. It was splattering the roof of the vehicle. Roman realized he couldn't hurt her while she was on the roof, so he jumped back inside and took her on a wild ride. He drove her up and down the dunes, nearly tipping the vehicle over in an attempt to dislodge her from the roof. Lena felt like she was riding a bull in a rodeo as her body was tossed to and fro. Eventually, Roman's truck got bogged in the sand, and he couldn't drive forward. He needed a shovel. That shovel was tied to the roof where Lena currently ruled. He asks her for it. Of course, she refuses to give it to him, and he tells her that she's being ridiculous. Can you believe that giant turd of a man telling Lena that she is ridiculous? Lena's starting to feel the effects of her wounds, but her brain's functioning at a much higher level than Roman's. In a battle of wits, it seems he came unarmed. She sees she's winning. He's flustered and unsure of himself. She tells him that she's cold and she wants to go back to the main road. Trying to run her over and swinging a hammer at her wasn't working for him, so Roman tries a different approach. He passes her a blanket and tries to coax her from the roof, but she told him that obviously she couldn't trust him. He tried to kill her, so why should she get off the roof? Eventually, she does agree to get inside the vehicle, but only after she convinces Roman to throw the hammer and knife far from the truck. In the meantime, Beatrice is still hiding when she spots a vehicle approaching. She double-checks, making sure it's not Roman, before she jumps out of the shrubs and runs naked toward the passing vehicle. She screamed for help as she ran towards it while waving her arms. A man, his father, and two young cousins were driving to a fishing spot on the beach when they saw her waving for their attention. The driver's father told him to stop, and the driver complied. Beatrice was standing at the top of a hill completely naked and waving. When she saw they had stopped, she ran down the hill and jumped into the back of the car. The driver said she came straight down. He could tell she was in shock. It was like someone was chasing her, as if someone was right behind her. She was terrified and kept telling them, Please, just go, please, he's going to kill us all. He tried to rape me, he tied me up, and he's got my friend, and he's still out there with her. They reported that Beatrice seemed relieved, but at the same time, it was as if she had seen the devil. She was hysterical, with bruises and scratches on her body, as well as a black eye. The group was in shock, and they weren't sure what to do next. They glanced around at each other disbelievingly. Her rescuers gave her a spare pair of pants they had in the car, and one of the cousins gave her his jacket. They wanted to take her off the beach to safety, but Beatrice insisted they head towards her campsite to see if Lena was there. She was nowhere to be seen. Back at Roman's bogged truck, he was playing nice. He offered her a towel, a first aid kit, and a hat that he said would stop the flow of blood and put some pressure on the wounds. She had four lacerations on her head, the largest of which was 55 millimeters in length or just over two inches long. She was covered in blood and going into shock. 
She was cleaning herself up a bit, while Roman worked to free the vehicle from the sand. Lena kept an eye on him, and once inside the truck she kept her passenger door cracked open so Roman couldn't lock her inside. She told him she wanted to go to the main road, but once moving he turned the vehicle toward the beach, away from the entrance. He drove quickly, racing past another group of campers. A young man watching the truck fly by had seen Lena's bleeding arm and head hanging out of Roman's car as he drove past them. He told his teenage buddies about what he'd seen. They acted quickly, overcame their fear and jumped into the back of their car. They followed the truck and the blood-soaked girl they had seen inside it. Eventually, they cornered the truck in the sand dunes. At the same time, they made a desperate call to the only adult they knew in the area. Nearby, at the Salt Creek Roadhouse, owner Adam Stewart was getting ready to close up for the day. He never knew what his day would be like, because it had always varied from rescuing bogged fishermen after dark, to teaching people to drive on beaches, to answering the constant calls from campers who used them as their source for all Salt Creek knowledge. All of this in addition to feeding hungry passers-by. He was typically prepared for everything, but he never anticipated he would find himself in the role of rescue coordinator for the victims of a sexual predator. He almost missed the phone call from the teens who had found Beatrice. Five minutes later, and he would have had the place closed up. When he answered the phone, he could hear the panic in the voices of the boys when they told him what they had seen and that they had followed the truck and the girl. Once cornered from the boys' vantage point, they could no longer see Lena. They sat in their vehicle, watching, not sure what to do next. Inside Roman's truck, Lena knew she had to move. She felt extremely weak as she opened the door. As she stepped out, Roman begged her to stay inside. She told him no, and that she was going to go to whoever was in that other vehicle. Roman was at a loss. Lena began staggering toward the boys. She glanced back over her shoulder several times and was relieved when she saw that Roman hadn't tried to follow her or run her down. What the boys saw when Lena approached was that her face was red, her hair matted, and her clothes covered in blood. The boys didn't know whether she was a man or a woman. As they watched on in horror, Roman fled the scene in his truck. The sun was fading fast, and the park was vast. It was now a race against time to find treatment for the girls and to track down Roman. Adam got off the phone with the boys, called the police, then prepared to go to the beach to help in any way he could. The girls were in good hands, and now Roman was the one running in fear, but the community at the beach kept a watchful eye on his whereabouts. He couldn't escape. When police arrived, Adam led them to Roman, and he was arrested. He gave himself up fairly easily. Let's be real. He realized his freedom was short-lived hours earlier. Adam would testify in court about his role in the rescue of the girls and Roman's capture. He would be praised by the judge in her sentencing remarks. The same judge went on to berate the off-duty police officers who didn't immediately come to the woman's aid. That's right. There were three off-duty officers that had been fishing at the beach that day. The judge said, Fortunately, there were some decent Australian men about the place that day. 
I'm not referring to the three off-duty officers whose only apparent role in the unfolding drama at the beach around them that afternoon was apparently to drag a couple of eskies across the entrance to the beach and carry on fishing. It seems that day their pledge to serve and protect came after their desire for beer and fish. When Roman had his day in court, much more was revealed about the man. He was born in West Germany and had come to Australia with his parents when he was a boy. He had worked as a chef, but quit that job in 2013 to care for his ailing father. He had been married twice before and had five children. His kids would say they never believed their father was capable of doing something like this, but perhaps they had been shielded from the truth because Roman was a terrible person. In 2014, two years before kidnapping Lena and Beatrice, he had been arrested and charged with indecently assaulting another backpacker in Adelaide. He'd also agreed to take this woman on a road trip. All three of his victims were foreign backpackers he contacted through Gumtree's ride-sharing section. In total, he pursued 16 young women through the site. He indecently assaulted his first victim in September of 2015, molested a second three months later, and then Lena and Beatrice came along in 2016. He had violated the terms of his probation when he gave the two girls a ride. A fifth woman avoided harm after posting photos of Roman online. He had cut the trip short, but remained obsessed with her afterwards. She was from Japan, and in the months following his trip with her, he began looking for information online about how to hurt a woman during sex and queried whether Japanese women liked being raped. We can all resoundly assure him that they do not. He also began accumulating extremely violent rape porn on one of his two phones, and when police searched his vehicle on the day of the attacks with Lena and Beatrice, they found a bottle of Viagra and condoms. It was clear that he had harbored rape fantasies for a long time. He'd found the girls online, packed what he needed for camping and sexually assaulting the girls. What he couldn't plan on was their cunning tenacity and their will to live. A physician told the courtroom that Roman had hit Lena on the thickest, hardest part of her skull, the very top. That had been what saved her life. If she'd been hit on the thinner sides, she would likely have been incapacitated and died. The jurors would hear about Roman's saliva being found on Beatrice's breast and her saliva being on the bathing suit bottoms, lending credence to the girl's version of events. It was obvious to the jury that he wasn't remorseful for his previous attacks on women and that he planned ahead of time to attack the girls at Salt Lake. They would sentence him to 22 years and four months with a non-parole period of 17 years. One thing the jury didn't hear about was his ex-girlfriend's account of sexual assault because she never told the police. But she came forward to the media with a story of her own, a chilling account of an attack by Roman only one month before he picked up Lena and Beatrice. She spoke of how when she met Roman he had been kind, a quiet man, but things changed over time. Six months later, she'd be covered in bruises, bite marks, and felt heartbroken. That night, she had gone to bed. She thinks she must have been sleeping deeply, 
because when she awoke, she realized that one of her hands had been tied up over her head. She startled awake and asked Roman what the hell he was doing. He cursed at her, telling her to shut up. He yanked and pulled at her body, descending on her, biting her and forcing her legs apart. She tearfully recalled that she had no choice but to lie there because she was afraid of being hurt worse. When he finished, he left her tied up and just rolled over with his back towards her, not saying a word. She was left lying there, questioning everything in her life. She never told the police because she was too scared, but she did leave Roman, luckily escaping a planned camping trip to Salt Creek that they had the following month. She would tell 60 Minutes Australia that she was afraid if she had gone with Roman to Salt Creek, she probably wouldn't have come back. If he had succeeded in what I think he planned that day, there would be two bodies buried in the sand, and maybe it wouldn't have been the first time. According to 60 Minutes, Roman may have left a woman there before. There were reports of him driving a young, blonde backpacker into the park. Two days later, he was seen driving away from the park alone. I tried to find out if there was an ongoing investigation into Roman's past, and I tried to find the trial documents on the case, but I was unsuccessful. I also reached out to Lena for an interview, but I didn't hear back from her, which is okay. I can completely understand wanting to keep the past in the past. I wish only the best for her and all of Roman's victims. Roman's own father would say that he is where he needs to be. The young female backpackers are safe for the next 17 years from Roman Hines. As always, thank you so much for listening, for rating and reviewing the show on iTunes, Spotify, or even on the Twisted Travel and True Crime Facebook page. Those little efforts make the podcast uh, reach more people. If you would like to sponsor the show, there are links in the show description that will allow you to do a monthly sponsorship or a one-time sponsorship. And speaking of sponsorships, I'd really like to thank a lovely person who sent a $30 sponsorship who wants to remain anonymous. You know who you are, and I am very grateful. I'd also like to thank Sarah G., who took a moment to write a uh, review on the Facebook page. She says, The descriptions and details bring these stories to life. The length of each episode is perfect. I'm so glad I discovered this podcast. Sandy is a gem. Sarah, I think you're the gem. And last but not least, I'd like to thank everyone who has supported the podcast online. There are many of you, and I am so very appreciative to you as well as to the people who have shared the podcast with a friend. Thank you all, and I'd like to wish you all fair winds, following seas, and safe travels of all kinds.